Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to Calvary Baptist Church. I hope you had a great Easter. Uh, I want to just say thanks to those of you who came and put flowers on the cross. If, if you don't know, we had, a, we had a, the wooden cross out in front of the church there in the parking lot, and a number of you came and just put flowers on it. And just, just as, a, as a demonstration of, of the life that comes from uh, the cross. And it was a cool thing. It was a great way for us to kind of do something together as a, as a church community, even though we have to stay apart. But it was also kind of a cool community thing. It was neat to see like people from the neighborhood coming and putting flowers on it and taking pictures with it. And I think it was just an encouragement to them as well. So what, what a neat thing. Thank you for uh, your help in that. Uh, it's been a few weeks, but we started a couple weeks ago before Palm Sunday and Easter in a study of the book of James. And so if you would go ahead and grab your Bible and open up to James chapter 1, we're going to continue on in our study in that book. Um, it looks like there's maybe a little bit of light at the end of this tunnel. Uh, hopefully we don't have to keep doing this forever. I'm hoping that uh, within the next uh, month or so we can actually be back together, maybe, maybe sooner. That would be awesome. Um, I, am, I am eager to get back to, to normal. I, I miss you guys a ton, and I can't wait till we're all able to worship together again uh, here in the building at the same time. Uh, but at least we get to still study God's Word together, and we get to sing together, and we get to worship together this Sunday morning. So let's do that. Uh, let's let's uh, dive right in. Uh, we, we started a study of James, and uh, James, uh, the, the one that authored this, was the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, we looked at the, the first part of James, and we see that he's writing this to these Jewish believers who have been dispersed uh, out of Jerusalem and to outlying areas because of persecution. They have been persecuted because of their faith in Jesus Christ and have, and have had to flee uh, for their lives. And, and so he's writing to these people who are in the midst of significant turmoil and difficulty and struggle in their life. And the, the reason he's writing this is to encourage them to stay faithful and to stay strong and to stay joyful even in the midst of difficult things. One of the, my favorite verses in this whole letter is uh, chapter 1, verse 2, where he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Uh, you can still be joyful even in the midst of trials because you know God's at work. That's a, it's a comforting thing uh, for us. Um, our, our passage today is really a continuation of that encouragement that he offers. Uh, and, and in this passage, James answers probably one of the most common questions that we as human beings ask. I think it's one of those questions that, that every single person is going to ask at one point or another in their life. And that's, why do bad things happen? Um, why do the people that we love and care about have to die? Why does it seem like God allows evil people to keep on doing horribly evil things? Why do we have to keep struggling with, with sickness and disease and all of these difficult, frustrating things? Um, and the, the problem really is reconciling 
the fact that there's this loving, caring, all-powerful God with the fact that these bad things still happen. Like, why? Is, is it that God really isn't loving and he, and he doesn't want to fix those problems for us? Or is it that God really isn't all-powerful and can't fix those problems for us? Well, we know that neither one of those things is true. So why then? Why do bad things happen? Uh, that, that would no doubt have been a question that the people that James is writing to would have asked. Why, if we love Jesus and are following him, are we facing such difficulty and persecution and, and hardship? Um, let me read. Uh, we're going to start in chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 9. Here's what James has to say. He says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Interesting uh, what James has to say there about how we are supposed to deal with difficult things that happen. Uh, right off the bat, I think it's important to state, and, and James reaffirms this for us, that God is not the author of evil. God is not the one responsible for the difficulty and the sin and the suffering that we face. God is responsible for creating beings with the capacity to make uh, significant moral choices. That means we, we were created with the ability uh, to, to make choices. We have some measure, at least, of free will. Human beings were created by God good. The earth was created and declared good. God's creation was not flawed by suffering or, or, or sickness. However, sin came into the world when man decided to disobey God. Now, God could have made us without the ability to, to make that choice between uh, good and evil and right and wrong. He could have made us just robots, but he didn't. For some reason, God chose to make us like we are. Uh, God didn't create the problem of evil, but God has been actively at work since 
the fall to, to fix that problem, to solve it, to reconcile us back to Him and to redeem us and to rescue us and, and to help us in the state we find ourselves in. This process of redemption highlights God's grace and God's mercy, God's love towards us. God isn't silent. He isn't distant. Even though sometimes it, it feels that way. God hasn't abandoned us. God has always been present with comfort and with peace and to bring about strength. James points out here in this passage that one of the reasons, at least, that bad things happen to us is to help teach us humility. I mean, we, we saw that in, in the, the last passage, that one of the positive outcomes of trials is steadfastness, maturity. But, but that, that kind of growth, that kind of maturity in the midst of a trial only comes through humility. James says again in uh, 1, 9, and 10, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. The brother who is, who is lowly, the one who is suffering loss, who is poor, who is ill, who is faced with difficulty in this life is able to glory in the fact that they are a child of God and loved by Him. And they might not have a lot of uh, earthly things to boast about, but they can always boast in the fact that they belong to God. Likewise, he says, the rich man should rejoice when they suffer loss because Trials serve to remind that person who seemingly has everything of just how fleeting earthly possessions are. It keeps him humble. Uh, it, it, it restores our perspective off of the stuff down here and back onto God where it belongs. The rich man is compared uh, to a flower here by James. Glory is only temporary. That, that kind of glory was never meant to last forever. Temporary, transient, earthly comforts will fade away. Our hope and our joy and our confidence, though, if it is grounded in God and in Jesus Christ our Savior, will never fade away. Begin at verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So our, our joy, our hope, our reward for persevering in the midst of trial isn't money or fame or some sort of earthly thing. Now, those things are ultimately fading and worthless. Now The prize that we seek is that crown of life. That, that heavenly reward, that eternal reward. That should be our, our, our focus, our, our hope in this life. And difficulties and trials that we face here only serve to help refocus our attention back on the things that matter the most. So, uh, without a doubt, God uses those trials, those hardships, those difficulties in our lives to teach us important lessons. 
But again, that, that doesn't mean that God is the one responsible for causing that hurt and that pain and that hardship. Bad things are not because of God. They're not, they're not caused by God. Look, look at verse 13 again. It says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. Again, even though God is able to, to take and use those trials and those temptations and those tests in our lives to, to strengthen us and to mature us, that doesn't mean that, that He's the one that's responsible for them. God never tempts us to sin. He never tries to, to cause us to stumble. God's not up there trying to, to, to trick us or, 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 or to get us to fail. That's not the case at all. In fact, God has promised that He's actively helping to limit and to control the sin and the temptation that we face so that we can bear it. One of my favorite passages in Scripture is 1 Corinthians 10.13. It says this, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able but with the temptation will provide a way of escape also so that you'll be able to endure it. He might allow us to go through some temptations and some trials and this messed up fallen world that we live in, they're unavoidable. But, but God never causes those. He's never the author of those and He's actively limiting limiting what, what we go through and what we experience and constantly providing that way of escape for us. You know, a lot of times people say, you know, God will never give you more than you can handle. And, and I, I think that's, that's partly true. I think in this life there's a lot of things that we, we can't handle. They are more than, than we can deal with by ourselves. But this is reminding us and reassuring us here that we don't have to bear those burdens alone, that God is there and that God will guard us and protect us and guide us through it. And honestly, without God, there's no amount of temptation that we're able to withstand. We always need Him. Now, the direct result of pain and suffering in this world, the, the result of so much of it is a direct result of, of human choices, of, of selfishness on our part. It's, it's things that we ourselves create. James chapter 1, 14 and 15, he says, Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Man, that's, that's a vivid picture there. Uh, of, it's like uh, giving birth to this, this death, this horrible thing. That's what he's showing there. It begins with thoughts. It begins in our minds. It begins in our hearts. The root problem starts with that, that sin nature that we all have. We, we have these these desires that entice us and carry us along. The image here is kind of like, a, like a, an animal being enticed into a trap and then they're snared and can't get loose. 
We, we see something that we want. We think of something that we think we have to have. And we don't care what the consequences might be. We just want what we want. And, and that's just the beginning. Like if we can, if we can short circuit the process at, at that point, at the point where it's just in our thought life, uh, then we can, we can avoid so much sin and so much pain. But once that, that sinful thought is conceived in our minds, it grows and grows until it gives birth to the act of sin. And the final outcome of that action of sin, James says, is death. One of my commentaries described these four stages of sin. The, this process that James is talking about here. The, point one is desire. It starts there. We see something that we want and our desire for it just overrides any rational thought or common sense or good judgment. Like, okay, I saw on TV that KFC has a piece of fried chicken in between two donuts and I want that so bad. Oh, that looks so wonderful. And there's the desire that's conceived in our minds and in our heart. And then, and then after that, uh, the second step is deception, where we convince ourselves that we need it, that we should have it, that we deserve it. You know, I've been exercising a lot in quarantine, theoretically. I've been uh, like under a lot of anxiety and stress, and I really could use some comfort food. It would help make me feel better. It would make me happy. So I should go out and buy that donut chicken sandwich. Uh, and then the next step is, is design. This is where we start to make a plan. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to offer to buy dinner for the whole family at KFC. And then when I go and make the order, I'm just going to slide in one of those donut chicken sandwiches and then try and eat it before I get home. It's a perfect plan. Nobody will know. It's awesome. And then the final D, the fourth stage in that process is disobedience. This is where we actually execute our plan, where we do the horrible thing that we've been thinking about. And every single one of us has gone through those steps in our mind and in our heart and in our actions with, with some sort of sin. In big ways and in small ways, it starts with that selfish desire and ends up in disobedience. And again, earlier we can short-circuit that process, the easier it is to prevent the sin. But so often we go through all of these different stages until that final act of disobedience. And then, and then we complain that the temptation was just too much. But we're already in the KFC drive through Like if you just would have never gone there in the first place, you'd have been better off. In college, I had this professor that, that tried to help us reason through uh, the, uh, the full act of, of sin. Like, think through all of the steps. Don't just stop with the, with the act of disobedience. But, you know, he walked us through all of these stages. If you're going to cheat on your wife, it starts with thinking about cheating on your wife. And then it starts with making a plan. And then it starts with the, the, the actual uh, execution of it and... But don't stop there. Then what? What comes next? And he walked us through all of the pain and the heartache and the ruined lives and, and the poverty and the messed up kids and to help us see that the consequences of sinful actions are far-reaching and 
not ever worth it. Our actions have consequences. Again, we have the ability to make some morally significant free choices. And so often, it's those choices that's responsible for the bad things that we have to suffer through. Too many of our wounds are self-inflicted. God doesn't give us bad. James reminds us that, that God only gives us good gifts. In fact, every good gift is from Him. Look at verse 16 and 17. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. No, God is never responsible for anything evil or bad in our lives. But He is responsible for everything good, for everything holy, everything perfect. Now, so often, sin and the fact that we're in a fallen, broken, messed up, cursed world is the reason why so much bad happens. But, but God's grace, God's love, God's mercy is the reason why there are good things that happen. We deserve death, and instead God grants us life. We deserve punishment, and instead God gives us mercy. We deserve His wrath, but instead He showers us with love. We don't deserve any of the good gifts that God gives us. But He still gives them to us because He loves us. James says that God is the Father of lights. He is the creator and sustainer of this universe. There's no variation or shifting shadow in Him. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And because of that, we can put our confidence and trust in Him. Verse 18 is this, this beautiful poetic description of, of the most amazing gift that God has ever granted us. And it's just a, one of those verses in the Bible that's just packed with theology and encouragement and promise. It says, Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. Salvation is not primarily an act of our will, because our will is evil and sinful and bent. Sal salvation begins as an intentional act of the will of God. He's the one that chose to forgive and to cleanse and to restore. He's the one th that prepared a way for dead people to be brought back to life. And when James says that, that he, he brought us forth, again, that's a figure of speech that refers to, to giving birth. Like there's a, there's a rebirth, there's a new birth. We are born again because of what God has done for us. Just like Jesus trying to explain to Nicodemus that you've got to be born again. Ah, I, don't, I don't know what that means. How is that even possible? No, it's not a physical 
rebirth. It's a spiritual rebirth. This, this new life, this, this new birth comes from the word of truth, from the gospel of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul explains that, that moreover in, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 uh, of that, Paul says this, In Him, in, in Jesus, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. So when you heard this gospel that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose from the dead, and you, you heard that gospel message that through faith in him, all of your sins are forgiven and they're paid for and you're cleansed and you believed in that. You were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Why? Why does God do that? Why does he lavish us with such good things? Why does he bless us so much? James says, because he wants us to be like the first fruits among all of creation. Because through us, through our, our salvation, God's grace is highlighted. His mercy is shown. God receives the praise and the glory that he deserves. Again, it's really not so much about us as it is about, about God and who he is and what he's done for us. If we look at the passage uh, right before this one along with with this passage here, we see that the trials in our lives generally come from one or two places, right? I mean, either they come from the outside, from bad things that are happening to us, or they come from the inside. They come from, from sin and selfishness that works its way out into destructive consequences. And the way to handle those outside trials that we don't have any control over is to trust in God. And the way we handle those inside trials that come from within, from our own desires and that sinful nature, is to obey God. Trust and obey. I think, I think James' pr primary purpose in writing this letter is to just encourage us, even in the midst of difficult things, to trust and obey. Do, do you trust that God will see you through every trial, no matter how difficult it might be? And, and do we have this faith to obey Him, even in the face of temptation? Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and the comfort and confidence it gives us. Thank you, Lord, that when we are faced with hardships and bad things that happen to us from the outside, sickness and natural disasters and consequences of living in a fallen world, Lord. We can trust that you're still ultimately in control. You know what you're doing. And God, we, we thank you that uh, we don't have to give in to those sinful desires. That you've freed us from that slavery to sin. That even when we're tempted, 
You won't let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. And even in the midst of it, you're there to help provide a way out. God, help us to take that way out. Help us to obey you. Help us to follow you. And thank you so much, God, for every good and perfect gift that you give us. Thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.